Hey, it's Nikki back on Gut Plus Science Healthcare. I'm with Ophelia Byers. She's the VP and Chief Nursing Officer at New York Presbyterian Hospital. She's got 20 plus years of leadership under her belt and a lot to share. Today, we're tapping her passion and it's about racism-related stress in the workplace. And even more niche, she is deeply passionate about the Black and African-American employees' experiences with such stress. And she studied a lot to understand and help leaders gain awareness on this problem and gives a lot of insights on how we can all get better together at inclusion. Ophelia, welcome to Gut Plus Science. I'm so excited to have you and your passion with me today. It lit me up when we prepped for this episode. So let's just dive right in. Let's talk about racism-related stress in the workplace and a bit of history on the problem and current challenges. Good morning, Nikki. Thank you so much uh, for having me here today and many thanks to your listeners. I'm excited to talk about this topic today. So talking a little bit about racism-related stress uh, in general, it's a topic um, that has been studied for decades. Racism-induced stress, racism-related stress. Those are some of the terms um, that um, can be searched by listeners to learn more about uh, the phenomenon. And the idea really is that um, for employees in particular and employees who are affected by racism either directly or vicariously, the idea is that the stress of structural oppression, uh, be it experienced in the workplace, be it experienced outside of the workplace, has uh, deleterious effects on employees. Um, and why is it important to leaders? I think it's very clear we recognize the impact of stress, just general stressors, life stressors, family changes, pressure at work, personal health challenges. Those are things that any human being goes through. And then you think about your employees of color. Uh, my focus is very specific on Black employees in the workplace. And you think about the impact of racism on people who are otherwise going through um, the challenges of just being human. Um, and so it's incredibly important to think about that because it's compounded stress. And then we think about the concept of uh, intersectionality developed by Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw, which looks at intersecting or multiple uh, forms of oppression that are heaped upon one person. And so if you are Black and woman and gay or disabled, all of those things um, compound stress even more. And so my interest in this is really around understanding the experience of those employees and how workplaces can create actionable frameworks to help support them at work, a place that we spend most of our life, really, and certainly most of our day. And it's really trying to understand how we can retain these employees, engage them, ensure that the workplace is one of diversity, inclusion, belonging, and ultimately equity. And some of the work that I have done around this um, is I think about my doctoral research on racism-related stress and psychological resilience in Black and African-American nurses. This is a study that I conducted in 2020 coincided with the beginning of the pandemic. And so that was a challenge in studying healthcare givers at the beginning of a pandemic. But my inquiry was really to understand what does it look like for people who are caregivers, who have to give 
while they grieve. And this beginning of the study actually preceded the killing of George Floyd, but it certainly that whole experience for our world made the work all the more poignant because that's a weight that many of us brought with us to work and didn't have a place to put that grief. And yet at the same time had to caregive and had to console others and be a part of a healing team for others. And the question is, where's the healing for us? Absolutely. And I think it is so important with every episode, I do this as a theme, to understand the why we're talking about the topic. And this topic has not really been touched on in so many, you know, we've done tons of episodes and it's just so important because as a leader, if we're trying to build and create the best workplace for all of our people, all, then we have to understand the different come froms of each individual person. And I love how you have a a long study in it in a very specific niche of African-Americans. And I think it's very important to look at all lenses, but today we're going to niche in that and really understand how do we create a culture of diversity and inclusion, specifically along the lines of your study, but really using a lot of the things we'll talk about to look at all people and how do we create this environment where people come alive at work and feel their very best. So I want you to hit on, because I know you're pretty passionate about this, talk about the lens or lenses in which we view racism-related problems at work as leaders typically. So that's a really great question. Uh, The way that I look at this is um, almost like a a visual acuity chart. If you can imagine um, this idea of you have the eye and then you have the line of sight. And there are very blatant acts of racism or manifestations of racism that most of us will agree are egregious, are intolerable, racist slurs, um, racism-related bullying, uh, racist jokes. Those are things that are very easy to see, very easy to perceive, and most of us would not tolerate those things. But then still within our line of sight, but further out, depending on what our visual acuity is, or we can say awareness of racism, depending on what our visual acuity is, they may not be as easy to see. Those are, we go from the obvious to the obscure. And those may be things like microaggressions, what is known as gaslighting. When someone says, I'm having this experience and It may be said to them, are you sure that's what you're seeing? Maybe it's you. Maybe it's your perception of it. What we know as unconscious or implicit bias. The glass cliff, which has been described as an experience that women have. And again, when we think about intersectionality that Black women have and women of color have, where promotions happen or opportunities happen, if you will, when there is a mess to clean up. When things are in disrepair and the person is finally called upon because there is a repair to occur, uh, pay inequity. And so these are things that we are don't often see either because, for instance, pay inequity, you just may not be privy to what someone earns. Um, but also there is not always the awareness of what someone's lived experience is at work. And so... Our obligation is to, one, do some vision correction, 
right? And that comes through awareness. That certainly comes through dialogue. It comes through uh, learning and self-study. It comes through a variety of ways, but we have to first recognize that we do not see all and that we really need diverse perspectives from our, hopefully, which is another step, a diverse group of individuals to be able to be more aware. Thank you for sharing that. And I just wrote down this question that I definitely want to put in our takeaways, but I think it's appropriate right now. A great reflection question for everyone, every single person listening is, how can I sharpen my awareness? What could I do today? What could I do this week? What could I do this month to sharpen my awareness? And you gave us some ideas like dialogue, uh, self-study, spending time with others that are diverse, you know, from our, come from, from our color, from whatever, right? I just think that that is, you know, really important to take time and say, what am I doing to be proactive in sharpening my awareness? So thank you for that. Ophelia, let's discuss the opportunity of taking a quality improvement approach. I know you had shared that term with me and you're passionate about it. Let's just discuss what it looks like to take a quality improvement approach to our diversity and, and inclusion initiatives. First, when we think about quality, uh, we first think there are roadblocks, there are potential problems, there are actual problems. So first it starts with problem identification or risk identification. That's important. And that's where that awareness comes in. And you made a really great point about sharpening our awareness. Let's all just assume that there's opportunity to do that. No matter what, there's opportunity to dig deeper, think more expansively. So in that risk identification or problem identification, you're thinking about what are your employees going through? What are the safety risks? What are the adverse events, if you will, or near misses, and anyone in healthcare will certainly understand those terms, around the employee experience. Usually we do it around patient safety, but let's do it around the psychological safety of our employees. And when we think about racism-related stress, just taking a step back for a moment uh, to move forward, what are some of the things that employees experience uh, when they are under racism-related stress? There may be frustration, anger, resentment. There may be anxiety, isolation, helplessness, hopelessness. All of that can manifest as avoidance, disengaging from the work. Also, there are physical manifestations of this stress that can result in employees being out from work, heart disease, hypertension, sleep disturbances, dietary issues, All of these things have found in studies to be related to racism-related stress. So we recognize that employee engagement and retention and turnover can be affected by racism-related stress. In understanding that, how do we improve the quality of our care delivery to our employees? Now, the International Organization for Standardization, the ISO, is responsible for quality management systems And uh, they put out in 2015, the ISO 9001, and that's seven quality management principles for organizations committed to quality to abide by. And it's a customer focus, one, two, leadership, three, engagement of people, uh, four, evidence-based decision-making, five, a process approach, 
six, improvement, and seven, relationship management. And those things are not necessarily linear, right? They can all be concurrent. They're all interdependent. But the idea behind the ISO 9001 is a strong customer focus, is a key uh, feature of it. And it's about checking that the system works, that it meets the needs of customers. What I would challenge us to do is to think of those customers as our employees, our internal customers, also as well as external. And that's a different topic when we talk about in healthcare, in particular health equity. But right now talking about our internal customers, our employees. So in that first principle of customer focus, looking at our employees, understanding what their needs are, how do we go about doing that? First, identifying issues. Are we having issues with disengagement. Um, We have some objective tools that are used, like the Gallup Employee Experience Survey, for example. Are we having issues with leaves? Are we having issues with reports of issues around respect in our organizations, our disruptive behaviors? And how do we now start to drill down on those? And we can talk about those tactics a little bit later. Then leadership. We know that no organizational change can happen without buy-in, top-down, our boards, our senior leaderships, and and onward. And so it is incredibly important that there be a vision, one, that there be readiness. I think that's incredibly important for any organization. Are we ready to make structural change towards a more anti-racist environment and culture? And then what is the vision of that? What does that look like? Uh, what are we hoping to achieve? And that is, those are the questions that have to be asked. Three, on the engagement of people. It's, again, the people that you want to impact should be everyone. And so I think that that's incredibly important. No matter what group that you're focusing on, say, for instance, in anti-racism efforts, it's recognizing that everyone is affected when any of us are affected. And so engaging everyone in the work towards anti-racism. I like to say in many, it's been said before, that ally is a verb, that we don't label ourselves as allies, but it's something that we do with intention on a regular basis. How do we support each other in this environment? And when we're engaging people, asking those most affected by the issue at hand, how it's affecting them, asking better questions. A really great article by Daisy Ogre Dominguez in, it's a Harvard, Harvard Business Review uh, article, Getting Over Your Fear of Talking About Diversity. It's imploring us to ask better questions. Some examples of those, and I quote from the article, what are the biggest barriers to your success and what role can I play in helping remove them? Do you feel safe enough, and I like to say psychologically safe enough, to take risks at work, to contribute, to belong to the community? What percentage of your time is spent on addressing exclusion or microaggressions against you or others? How can I help amplify your voice? That's a question about sponsorship. And then in your, from your lens, whose voice is missing from this conversation? And so these are really great ways to start engaging people who are most affected by this, but they're also great ways to engage those who do not appear to be directly affected. Maybe they're not a part of the group that experiences racism firsthand, but understanding that they have to be a part of the conversation and work. Evidence-based decision-making as the fourth principle, I say consult the experts. 
don't do this on your own. There are amazing consultants. Um, a lot of organizations have chief diversity officers, of course, but there are scholars around this work. Ask the people who have done the work, who have studied, invest. I think the return on the investment is strong. In organizations, we tend to tap a person of color and say, okay, you're the diversity person. <laughs> um, and that is um, really not taking ownership of the work that needs to happen. Um, it is actually putting that burden on a person who is experiencing this, perhaps at work and certainly outside of work, to teach everyone. That is not the most beneficial way to go. There are organizations and individuals who consult and who can add that breadth and depth to um, anti-racism efforts. Again, our process approach, there should be a process to this. What we don't want to do is treat diversity as something that if we have multicultural potlucks or have wear your ethnic attire to work day or, or just have crucial conversations around diversity, those are all wonderful things that can certainly boost morale but beyond boosting morale, what does structural change look like? And so making sure that there is a methodical approach to this, which this quality management approach can help. Improvement. Taking all of the information that we've gleaned and putting together an improvement process. Organiz healthcare organizations are very familiar with processes like Plan, Do, Study, Act, the PDSA, for example. But really taking out some higher level themes and starting to say, okay, this is what we need to work on. There is an issue with, for example, we don't have diversity at every level of our organization, particularly in leadership. That is a significant problem in a lot of organizations. There is a certain level of leadership where you'll see diversity and above that you won't. If that's an issue that has been identified, how do we now methodically go about improving that? And in a way that is actionable, and in a way that is sufficient, right? So how diverse is diverse enough? And those are questions that organizations have to add, but it's incredibly important. What does your board look like in terms of diversity? What does your senior leadership group look like by roles? What does your cadre of physicians look like? It's, it's thinking about roles and levels. And that's a really great way to say, if there's room for improvement, that's what our focus is going to be. And then finally, with relationship management, it's continuing to, yes, have those dialogues to check back, continuing to monitor. Have our interventions been effective? How are they landing with people? Is what we hoped to achieve, is what we hope to achieve what is actually occurring? And it's circling back to people that you spoke with when in the engagement of people phase of the journey to understand if the interventions that were put in place are going as intended. So it is this self-check process to, again, to ensure safety through standardization, to ensure high reliability. And I think that taking this approach, an approach that we all understand, there's not one organization that doesn't understand quality. And so making diversity and inclusion about quality of care not only for the customer, but also for the internal customer, for our employees, is a great way to promote structural change. 
So good. So action packed guys. I think that this is something that we're going to have to take our notebook and go, okay, we got to rewind. There's so much to get in all of this, just really, really powerful information. And you can see why, you know, the time that you've spent studying and really diving in to make this passion of yours come to life to make change. You're just illustrating it so well in this podcast. And I want to ask now, Ophelia, that you share a couple of stories. I love stories and I want to ask for two. And if you have more than that, you're more than welcome to share. But here's my first one. Can you share a story of your experience as a leader or a peer leader illustrating awareness of a negative change in an employee and how it was approached and then the positive outcome? Yes. I can think of an employee who was struggling, who had really great performance and then just seemed to fall off a cliff where metrics had changed, direct reports had been making complaints. And it was really to understand, of course, sometimes the first reaction to say, what is this person not doing? And we're all guilty of that. And it's not this work towards correcting any issue, not just uh, racism, but any issue in the workplace. We are not going to be perfect in our initial thoughts, right? That We just want things to be fixed. So my initial thought was, what is this person not doing? And then I had to really take that breath, take that moment and say, what's going on with this person? What do they need? They have shown before that they can do the work. What's changed for them? And I began with that discovery. How are you doing? is a great way to start and to ask really with intention, how has this experience been for you? Um, What's changed for you? Certainly in the light of societal stressors, I acknowledge those things to teammates. There's a pandemic. There's also social unrest. And how is that landing with you? I learned a lot from that employee without divulging very much. And then started to understand a little bit more about how that's impacting them. Now, there's a transparent conversation. Here's how you're performing right now. It is not characteristic of how you generally perform. I am concerned because after all, we do have a mission for the organization. We have our goals and objectives and we're accountable for them. And so we can't lose sight of that. But I also recognize that you're having experiences that are impacting that. How can we ameliorate that? One, you first. They say there's no I in team, but there is a me, right? And I'm a firm believer that team outputs start with individual commitments, right? And so we have to make sure that the health of individuals, and I do mean um, psychological health, emotional health as well, and professional health are intact so that they can be fully present with the team and contribute. And so we were able to get down to what some of those things were, able to make recommendations for our employee assistant program, but also not this hands-off approach and saying, you can go there, but also saying, you know, there's work to do with the team to help repair um, some of the challenges and with the relationships. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to uh, be involved in some of your meetings to kind of one, not only assess the dynamic, but to help with some of the messaging um, with the team and 
learn from them and support you in coming up with a plan to re-engage the team. So it is a mixture of coping resources that hopefully organizations offer. And if not, uh, the quality management approach is a really great way to start moving towards offering um, coping resources for employees. But it's also our individual responsibility as leaders to dive in and to really have a hands-on approach in helping restore the professional health of our teammates. And so that was the approach. And the, the person absolutely did begin to get back on track because we have to always assume, I think, start with assuming that the person wants to do well. Assume that the person wants to be successful. Assume that the person is committed to the mission and that have gotten a little bit off track And then we have to be excited about the leadership challenge of helping that person course correct. Powerful stuff. And I, you just did a little mic drop there at the end, assuming that each individual person that we interact with is doing the very best and coming from the very best place that changes the world right there. If you shift that, it's incredible what you will start to see, right? The, the, I see what the mind believes, right? And it's just so powerful that when we shift the way we think about the people we engage with, the world shifts around us. Okay, great story. Now I've got a second follow-up here. So can you share a story of your organization's excellence in diversity and inclusion initiatives, a story that makes you proud of your work home? I am proud to say that my organization um, has really worked towards their corporate commitment to diversity, inclusion, and belonging. And something that I'm proud of, there's a lot of work that's happening. Um, There are some very crucial conversations around diversity, inclusion, and belonging. Our organization has a respect credo in which that was diversity, inclusion, and belonging was made a part of that credo, actually predating all of the social unrest that we've been experiencing over this last year. So there are those live streamed conversations for the whole organization to be a part of, um, where we have speakers come in and speak about some really um, challenging topics, um, surmounting fear around having those kinds of conversations and moving us forward but also some really actionable things in terms of supporting businesses owned by people of color. We recently opened the Dalio Center for Health Equity, um, where there's very intentional work around social determinants of health um, and improving health equity in the community. So it is, the conversations have to happen. The conversations should never stop but also we can't stop the conversation. And it is important to be a part of an organization that keeps that conversation going, that is willing to have that uncomfortable conversation, but is also doing the work in very meaningful and intentional ways. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing that. And just a quick reminder, all of this that we're talking about today is very big. There are so many facets that if we're not just uh, doing morale booster you know, initiatives and really having a process and a strategy as Ophelia is sharing, there's so much to it. And if this is a passion area for you, it's probably easy to look at all the things that aren't right. But if we start by coming with like, wow, look at the things that our organization has done, and this is huge, right? Let's keep reiterating 
the greatness that we have and keep getting and rallying that energy around, keep going, let's keep going. And so just throwing that out, because I think a lot of times it comes up that we get frustrated that there's not enough. And I think the greatest thing that we can do is encourage the the greatness and really encourage that to keep going. So thank you for sharing what you're doing. And they're just so lucky to have you in leadership there because of your passion. Um, and I'm sure tons of other amazing stories are happening our time is coming to a close and I'm like, I have so much more to talk about. Where are we going to go with this? So here's where I want to wrap up. You had talked about how important it is for leaders to all get behind the strategy and all buy in. And so I think most anyone that's listening to this podcast would agree that leadership penetrates ripple effects the rest of the organization. How do we as leaders that like you are very bought into what needs done and very passionate in this area of diversity and inclusion, how do we best engage other leaders to come along for the journey? It's all about accountability. And that's one of those words that we all believe in, but can be very nebulous. What does accountability look like? How do you add meat to that? How do you manifest that? And it can be, it has to be on every level. It has to be a part of the fiber of the organization. It has to show up in ways that are attentional and in ways that are explicit, if you will. At the same time, also ways that are implicit. And I think that there has to be equal opposite force for everything, right? So if you have explicit bias, (laughs) then you have to have explicit anti-racism, if you will. Um, and, And the same thing with implicit, right? And so it is really making sure that every part of the movement of the organization is evidences this commitment. And so some tactical ways that we can do that. One of the things that I think about that really drives performance. So I'll start with saying you can't change everyone's hearts and minds. And we know that in teams that there are different people that have different ideas and philosophies because of different origins and and ways of moving and knowing. And, and so the idea is to say to people that this is who we are, this is what the organization is about, and this is the expectation of someone who is a part of this organization. I may not be able to control what you do outside of this, but I certainly, this is the expectations here and with the hope of influencing other areas of your life. And so how do we add structures, right? That's what policies do. That is what procedures do. That's what evidence-based practice does. That's what laws do, right? It says, this is how you're going to act here. <laughs> and so ways that we can um, influence behaviors and practices, performance reviews, really great opportunity for us to influence behaviors. It's for someone who wants to be promoted in this organization. I'll go as far as to say for someone who wants to maintain employment at the the organization. These are the behavioral standards. Here's what we expect. And so there's an opportunity for us to look at how we make diversity, inclusion, belonging a a part of performance reviews. What work have you done around diversity and inclusion and belonging. Maybe someone is able to show community work outside of the organization, which organizations are and should be invested in. 
work in the community, for the committees and any type of uh, diversity, inclusion and belonging work that's happening in the organization. How do we make that a requirement that there is involvement in that and that be a part of how you are evaluated? I'll go a step even before that, making it a part of all of your interview questions, that part of your skill standards for interviews is um, that a person has a working knowledge of diversity, equity, and inclusion work. Um, maybe they've done some work on it, or they express um, a commitment to being a part of that work. These are just some ways that we can influence individuals and make sure that it's very clear that our work towards anti-racism is meaningful work and work that we're committed to. When we think about events that happen outside of the organization that are very challenging for our employees. I think about the most recent event that um, has been distressing for me is um, with Mr. Robert Green and the events around his death um, that we now know or have enough evidence to, to suspect was a willful killing. That is very hard uh, when you go into work the next day and everyone's just kind of moving like everything is fine. And you may be still kind of ruminating over what happened. Um, your anxiety is increased about your own encounters with police, those types of things. A structure where we acknowledge that. I ask my leaders to acknowledge those things in huddles. Um, I think about the Derek Chauvin trial and when there was the when the decision was made at the trial, I reached out to some of my leaders to say, are you okay? Because regardless as to what the decision is, this is difficult. And are you okay? How are you doing? Just know if you need to talk, I'm there for you. It is proactively acknowledging that these things are difficult. That decision is being rendered in the middle of a workday. And so it's those kinds of empowering our leaders, one, having a culture where we say that is okay to do. And in fact, it is an expectation that you reach out about these um, significant events that happen or talk about them, spend a little time in your staff meetings, in your huddles to acknowledge it and to not put someone on the spot, but give everyone the room to speak. Because again, it's not about the person of color there or the person of any background that it's affecting, but it really is about all of us. How are we doing? When we think about our efforts around health equity, for example, but again, this is this is something that influences how our employees see our organization. How do we look at things that go wrong in our organization? Do we look at them through an anti-racism lens? And healthcare is a really great example. There's a chance to do re retrospective um, reviews on patient complaints, employee complaints to ask ourselves, what are the demographics of the people who are um, having these complaints? It's okay to ask those questions, race, ethnicity, gender identity, preferred language, those types of things that help us to do retrospective reviews and say, is there an imbalance in the experiences of our customers, be them internal or external? And then really start monitoring that data to help us to help inform how we need to approach things differently. So those are just some examples that we can use proactively and retrospectively to help us build an accountability model, things that are that we can track, that we can trend, that are objective data um, that we can use as information and then knowledge and then really create organizational wisdom 
around anti-racism efforts. Ophelia, listen, well, write this down too. You need your own podcast. Listeners, I told you she was passionate and I forgot to hit the brilliance button on where she comes from with this topic. Like I'm dead serious. I don't think I've ever said that at the end of a podcast, by the way. You need a podcast. We scratched the surface today. We had so much to cover and we packed it full, yet we could have talked probably two more hours. <laughs> so thank you so much for your insights and just all of the knowledge that you shared today. We'll have lots in the key takeaways. We're going to take a quick break here from our sponsor message today, and then we're going to come right back to what we do on every show, which is our lightning round, where we'll get to learn just a little bit more about Ophelia. We'll be right back. Attention healthcare leaders. Have you heard of Wambi, our show sponsor? Wambi's holistic real-time recognition and culture transformation solution improves the healthcare experience for patients and staff through the power of gratitude. It's gamified technology delivers real-time feedback from patients and other team members that recognizes, rewards, and motivates optimal care. To learn how Wambi can be an early indicator for predictive changes in HCAPs, check out their recent success story with Upper Chesapeake Health, their case study just released, and it's in the show notes. All right, we're back on Gut Plus Science Healthcare with Ophelia Byers and just such a great episode today. Really enjoyed the time. And now we do what we do on every every episode where I get to learn just a little bit more about Ophelia and you all do too. So Ophelia, this is sometimes a tough question. What's your favorite book of all time or to make it a little easier, a favorite recent read? Well, it is a tough question. So the first thing that comes to mind, I'll tell you, I have to break it down to fiction. And I will say my favorite work of fiction of all time is Mama Day by Gloria Naylor. She's one of my favorite artists, authors, and it's just a phenomenal book that interweaves history and mysticism. And it's just an incredible lyrical read. I'm reading now, cast by Isabel Wilkerson. I encourage everyone to read um, a very compelling book around racism as cast. What is your favorite hobby when you're not working? I'm mothering. (laughs) I think so much, I, I work really long hours. And so, so much of my time is really spent with my two little ones, my 13 year old, Haile Serafina and my 11 year old, Charles Allende, and really doing crafts with them and baking and talking and just encouraging them. So that is, that's what I do with my free time. And then what is your favorite vacation spot? I would have to say Hawaii. I'll take any island. But Kauai is absolutely my favorite. My husband and I love it there. It is the garden island um, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. And how can our listeners connect with you after the show today? Oh, I would love to make those connections. Thank you so much. Email is a really great way to connect with me. Um, I am on LinkedIn, um, but I would say email is a great way to connect. And my email is abide uh, to thrive. And that's A-B-I-D-E, the number two, and then thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E at gmail.com. And abide is accountability for belonging, inclusion, diversity, and equity. Ophelia, thank you so much for such an amazing episode. Wow. So packed. And here's a couple of key takeaways that we call truth you can act on from Gut Plus Science. Uh, Number one, 
assume we all have the opportunity to sharpen our awareness. Every single one of us. No one is nailing it on being completely aware of how each person's come from is and totally sensitive. We have to sharpen this all the time. Number two, identify risks and challenges to prioritize focus for change. So we got to look at like, what are all the risks? What are all the challenges? And really determine where our focus needs to be to hone in on the ones that are of highest risk and most impact. Number three. Diversity and inclusion should be a process, not just a morale booster. So I love how Ophelia talked about how important it is not just to kind of throw things at a wall and say, hey, we're going to do this celebratory historic culture event or whatever for a day. We have to make diversity and inclusion a process with an entire strategy. And if you started with the tactical things, that's great, but really take a step back and really focus on the process and not just those morale boosters. Number four, constantly evaluate your organization's diversity to seek room for improvement. So look at what are you doing? Step back, get insights, maybe have an outsider peer leader in another organization give you feedback and constantly be evaluating. And finally, the habit of asking, how are you? How are you doing? And just listening is one of the most powerful habits that all of us can do more of to make everyone feel seen and heard and valued inside of the workplace. Such a great episode. Gosh, I'm going to have to go back and maybe re-listen to that five times to get some of that to just start to sink in. Thank you, Ophelia Byers. We just left the world a little bit better. Now go do something with it.